This is the Garden Cinema Film Talk, presented by Michael Chambers and Abla Kandelaft. We chat with filmmakers, actors, producers and film commentators about the art of film. We talk about the films they made, how they made them and the ones they'd like to make. Today, Michael and I talk to Rico Cagliano. Rico is a journalist and the host of Mubi's very own podcast. In the second season of the podcast, Rico explores the stories behind a number of cinemas across the world from Zanzibar to LA. We talk to Rico about those cinemas, about the importance of screening films in cinemas and the difference between watching films on a big screen and watching them on a small TV at home. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. The, the, um, this season of the movie podcast is about movie theaters. Okay. Um, each episode is a different sort of mini documentary about a different movie theater. In the past, uh, most of them do not exist anymore. And that had some sort of like impact on yeah. uh, the you know, cinema history or and sometimes just history in general. And I mean, I'm happy to talk about those specific cinemas. Or yeah. cinemas in general, or the cinema-going experience in general, which is really what it's it kind of is designed to do, is to remind people of the importance of that experience. So you've been sort of tracking the decline of American movie theaters over the years, regretting it. And all I can say is that we, we've, we've uh, reversed the trend in as much as we've opened a new cinema, a theater in the heart of London. Oh, bless you. I do feel like this is a moment of both worry and hope. I think at the same time that there has been this, you know, in the States, there's been, I think since the 90s, we've lost like 2000 theaters in the States. And I'll bet you that there's some amount of loss if you go like back to the 90s in the UK. But I do feel like there's this movement afoot of people who want to keep this tradition alive, particularly in like rep cinema or in art house cinema or, you know, non, excuse me, non-chain, you know, independent way. Well, I think the trend, I think you're right, the trend will continue for closing of all the big uh, multiplex cinemas as more and more stuff is released straight onto streamers. But um, our hope is that if we can focus on, as you put it, the rep rep, uh, sort of cinema that specialises in more arthouse films, that there's always an audience who want that sort of uh, cinema to uh, spend an evening in. Indeed. For me, the, the most important, any movie that's been made to be seen in a theater should be seen in the theater. I feel like that's the uh, ideal, obviously. But there's a certain kind of movie that I think demands to be seen in a cinema. And I can give you two examples of it. One's personal and one's actually something that somebody told me on the show. Um, you know, the movie Roma? Yeah. The big... So, you know, eventually, I think produced by Netflix or at least financed by Netflix, distributed. And they released it in theaters to qualify it for the Oscars. Yeah. And, but mostly it was, I think that was only in a few theaters and mostly it was seen on Netflix. I live in LA, so I was able to see it in a theater. And for me, it was an obvious, oh, of course, this is, you know, best picture material. It's just enthralling. I mean, my wife and I were weeping by the end of that film. Yeah. And it's just a gorgeous piece of cinema. Anybody I know that saw it on Netflix was like, eh, you know, I don't, I don't get it. I'm not <laughs> sure I get it. And I think the reason is because it's this very specific kind of film, which is a grand vision 
it's a theatrical vision, but it's actually somewhat slowly paced and you kind of need the focus of a theater and the fact that other people are focused with you to keep yeah. you in that world. It's too easy to get distracted yeah. on, at home. And I, I know that I wanted to rewatch it. I started watching it at home and I like, you know, got hungry at some point, got a sandwich and never went back to it. And another, another great example of this that somebody told me in the um, podcast was I went back in the very first episode to the theater I used to work at, which is called the Fulton Theater. Um, it was called the Fulton Theater. Now it's called the Biome. Originally started as a um, vaudeville house, huge 1300 seat theater with like a 30 foot screen. And uh, I was talking to one of the women whose company now manages it, the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust. And she went to see Lawrence of Arabia there in 70 millimeter back in the day with her children. Yeah. And they loved it. They were just so enthralled by it. But of course that movie's three hours long. There's an, literally an intermission in the middle of it. Yeah. And it started getting late. So they decided that they would go home to, to put the kids to sleep, but it's whatever. They'll get it on at that time VHS and finish watching it. And they put it on at home on VHS. And she said within five minutes, I was the only one watching. Her yeah. kids had been enthralled when it was in the theaters, but they just couldn't stick with it at home. Yeah. And there's got to be a theatrical experience for those kind of movies. Or otherwise, I worry that those kind of movies won't get made. Yeah. Out of curiosity, have you watched the film um, Fire of Love, a Saradosa documentary? No. It's about a couple of, um, a, a couple, they're in a romantic relationship, uh, but they're mostly known as volcanologists. They study volcanoes and they have a huge love of volcanoes. We're showing this at the Garden Cinema and we were watching it and it can only really be appreciated on the big screen because mm. it has these um, awe-inspiring dwarfing shots of erupting mm. volcanoes, these mass expanses of space. Mm. And so even a documentary such as this showing the, the scope and wonders of nature deserves a, the big screen experience. It's, it's totally different to watching it on, on a small screen and then getting distracted by a mm. passing ambulance or something. <laughs> Absolutely. That also makes me think of other kind of nature documentaries like Free Solo. I mean, are you really going to get the vertiginous nature of that movie if you're just like watching it on a small screen? Uh, definitely. And I think documentaries more and more have a kind of the sweep of uh, especially those, there's that whole, like it's becoming a subgenre of documentaries of like mountain climbing and adventuring where you need that. I feel like it's absolutely necessary. Michael, aside from the cinematic experience, the cinematography itself, is your aim also to showcase films that either we just don't see much? Well, I think that's right. We want to, the seasons, the new releases um, are one thing, but What's special to a rep theatre, obviously, is the the seasons we can show, and it's a you know, it's, like, it's like curating an art gallery. You're choosing films that have something of value to the audience linked together. We showed the the the, the, the noir films and um, classic French seasons, so you can bring attention to a certain type of film. Not everyone will want to see that, but for those who appreciate that particular group of films that you've selected, it's, it's a very significant thing. And I think that's, that's the value of an art house cinema that can move on from simple new releases. Although, <laughs> although the new releases, of course, are always interesting because you haven't seen them before. Um, yeah, we, we have, uh, um, there's an episode of this podcast about the, uh, it's the first episode, actually, the American Cinematheque. And uh, we talked to Barbie Schroeder, 
And he said for him, because as a very young man, like he was, a, I think he started going to the Cinematheque when he was 12 or something. This is one of the early incarnations of it. I think at the time he was, it was in the early 1950s. Of course, that was one of the things that they were famous for was Henri Langlois, who ran that cinema, would, you know, had just the most eclectic taste, but was also really into just what you're saying, kind of deep dives into either one genre or one filmmaker. And Schroeder remembers the big thing about the Cinematheque was the retrospectives, where you'd see every movie by one yeah. filmmaker yeah. and just get every angle on this filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And the, I think the other thing that an art house or a rep theater can do is build an audience that will just trust the curator yeah. Yeah. and be like, oh, well, they're running it. That's a cool theater. I'll just go and see it. No, we're, and, very, we're very conscious of that, that um, we've got to build up trust with the audience that uh, if they haven't seen it, but we're showing it, well, they'll take a chance. And that's how, you know, arguably the French New Wave happened. It's like yeah. these guys just want to see anything Henri Langlois would show. And then they start making a cinema, a type of cinema that's like this weird agglomeration of like Alfred Hitchcock suspense and like gangster noirs and then like <laughs> weird Mizuguchi, like art house Japanese cinema. Uh, not weird, but like this kind of gorgeous and long, you know, kind of meditative cinema, and it becomes the French New Wave. Yeah. I was very interested in one comment you just made now, which was that um, the distraction you get when watching at home. And I was thinking that um, films that are slow moving require a certain patience to get into it and to follow. Mm. They're much more likely to succeed in a cinema than when you're watching at home. Mm. It's a slow-moving film. You want to press the fast-forward button, <laughs> or, or you you get you get you get up and make a cup of tea. But in the cinema, you're the, you're there for the evening. You'll sit and you'll absorb it, and then you'll get hooked by it, and, and you really get into the film. And it may be that I don't know in the future that the more slow-moving films will find it hard to um, get made because if if all films are going to be on Netflix and so on. They will want films that hook their audience and hang on to them. Oh, absolutely. And there's, you know, I mean, you can even see it in television. You know, dramas or like, quote unquote, quality TV used to definitely be hour long shows. Right. And yet a, a great show, by the way, that I'm totally hooked on, The Bear, which is kind of a dramedy. Uh, and that's on uh, Hulu, I think. And it's these things are they're a half an hour long. I feel like even dramas have been cut down and it's just like, there's no reason that they had to be a half an hour long. There's, I think, eight episodes. They could have done four hour long episodes, but they, you know, make it shorter because of, I honestly, I think at home and I understand it, like people just don't have the time span. Another movie that I mentioned earlier in the very first episode, I packed a lot into that first episode, you may have noticed, was a, a reminiscence of seeing in that big theater that I used to work at, Wings of Desire, uh, the vendors film. Yeah, yeah. And that movie had a huge, huge impact on me. I mean, it made me, and not just in terms of film, which I was already into, yeah. although it is like one of the most beautiful looking films ever, but it got me into, um, because I was watching it on this huge 30 foot screen with this giant sound system. I, as a young person, I, like Nick Cave is in that movie and the sound of that movie made me like fall in love with this music that I didn't even think I liked. And it also kind of conveyed the sweeping, the romance of goth music, but it also made me want to travel like that because that movie has the sweeping look of, you know, at Germany and the kind of a loving look at this foreign um, 
culture that I'd never been exposed to. And I actually do travel writing now on the side. Before how that, I'd never had any desire you? to leave the country. How old I was probably you saw it? I was probably like, I don't know, 16 or 17, something like that. Like a very, like a very impressionable age. Yeah. yeah. But I honestly don't think, but you had to get caught up in that movie and yes. see it in this kind of place. I had a couple of questions in regards to your season. Did you choose to produce those specific seasons for movie? Did you pick the themes? Uh, the first season was totally me. I pitched it to them. They were looking, they wanted to do a podcast. Um, the second season, uh, we all pretty quickly coalesced around this idea for two reasons. One is that Mubi is not just a streaming service. They're also a, um, a distributor and they are also a production company. So there are a lot of people involved who have been in the exhibition business for a long time and have great stories about theaters. And we were all talking about how terrible it was because we were coming up with this during the kind of late stages of the pandemic lockdowns and theaters were closing all over the place. This was also a time, and I think we're still in a time when I think there's a lot of nostalgia because it's, you know, it's not the happiest moment in a lot of ways for our world. And it was like, this is an opportunity to talk about, you know, wonderful times that we had as young people, but also remind people of the importance of this experience at a moment where it feels endangered, I think. But that, that's it. Did you travel to those cinemas? To some of them. As I said, almost all of them are closed. And the only one that is still open, actually, is in Zanzibar. Yeah. And uh, I'm sad to say I was not able to travel during lockdown and on, you know, a, a budget <laughs> to Zanzibar. But uh, I did go to England to, and you're, you're there in London, you know, the Scala nightclub was once, of course, the great Scala cinema, one of the great rep theaters of the 80s and early 90s. And I did get a tour of that with Jane Giles, who uh, was a former programmer of that place. And that was wonderful. And I went to the Dryden Theater in upstate New York and got to see them project. The big thing about that theater is that they do nitrate film projection. Every year they do a thing called the Nitrate Picture Show, where for a weekend they show nothing but nitrate films, which is, of course, an incredibly difficult and potentially dangerous. Well, look, thanks very much. That was uh, fascinating. Thank you very yes. much, Rico. Thanks for sharing. Uh, thank you that. both. And I can't wait to come and visit and keep up the good work, keep fighting the good fight. Cinemas are important. This was the Garden Cinema Film Talk. You can find out more about the cinema screenings and seasons on our website, thegardencinema.co.uk, and follow us, send us comments and feedback on our social media, at The Garden Cinema.